Welcome to Everyday Linux, Episode 4, An Introduction to OpenSUSE. This week, uh, we're going to take a look at one of the uh, older Linux distributions that's uh, available on the market today, OpenSUSE. Uh, it's currently listed on the distrowatch.com webpage as the fifth most used uh, Linux distribution in the world. Uh, or is that in America? What, what a DistroWatch watches the world, right? So it's um, this, this is the part where you talk to me. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the one that it's uh, most downloads, not most used. Most, most downloads. Most downloads. All right. So they how do they how do they track that? Anybody know? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we I think just it's trust. Something it. to do with uh, the 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 distros report it. Anonymous strangers on the web say that it's the f- <laughs> fifth most used uh, uh, in Linux distribution, and we believe anonymous strangers on the web because because if it's on the web, it must be true. It must be true. Uh, as you've already noticed, those of you who've listened to the show, we have a couple of new additions to us. Uh, I'll introduce our, our new guests, uh, or our, our regular guests. Of course, our first, uh, old standbys, uh, Chris Neves, uh, known as Slipped in the chat room. Uh, say hello, Chris. Hello, hello. And Josh Reitz, known as Tux2 in the chat room. Hello, everyone. Uh, and then, uh, of course, my name is Mark Cockrell, as known as Mark Cockrell in the chat room, very creative. Uh, and then we have two new additions. Uh, we have uh, a couple of guys I tapped uh, from my past. Uh, uh, both uh, Aaron and Seth uh, and I uh, go way back to college days, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later. We, uh, Aaron and I lived together, and Seth was there so much we probably should have charged him rent. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, probably. <laughs> Um, and so we have Seth Anderson, uh, who's known as Seth in the chat room, and uh, Aaron when, Butler, who calls himself former fat guy in the chat room. So he- say hello, guys. Hello, this is Seth, when he can register that Nick first in the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Aaron, because nobody else wants to be known as former fat guy. I think there are a lot of people who want to be known as former fat guy. They just don't necessarily want that to be their name. That's uh, true. I, I tried to get that uh, formerfatguy.com, actually. I think we discussed it, Mark, but it was already taken, so I was yeah. kind of disappointed about that. And it's so it's it's alliterative. We need something else. Former Fat Fellow, that's alliterative. That works. <laughs> um, the person formerly known as Fat? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, wait now. Th- that might be trademarked. You might want to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> the the, art of the artist formerly known as a glutton. Um, yep. uh, so... <laughs> Uh, so this week we're, uh, we're trying something new. Uh, we've, we've done three episodes of Episode Linux, four if you count the pilot that was a part of the Tightwad Tech, uh, uh, regular stream. Uh, so, uh, we decided after three episodes we'd step back, see what was working, see what wasn't working, and, uh, and make some adjustments. And so, Part of the adjustments are the new guests that you have with us. Uh, uh, Kay, our uh, resident noob, uh, uh, won't be with us, at least not on a regular basis. You may pop in from time to time. Uh, but we have Aaron, who is our, uh, his title is Noob in Residence. Uh, Aaron, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do uh, professionally and personally, and, uh, and why are you our noob in residence? Okay. Uh, I live in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I've been in the IT industry as a professional for about nine years. I've been in, in an IT lover since I was about five, and my crazy friend Steve's dad got a TR-80 Model 1 computer, and we started playing on it. So um, currently I work for Piedmont Healthcare, shameless plug, uh, supporting their electronic medical records, electronic practice management, that kind of thing. And I've Played around with uh, Linux a little bit on some friends' machines, kind of poked around here and there on it, uh, but I'd really never had a chance to kind of sink my teeth into it. Now I listened to the, actually just had listened to the Everyday Linux podcasts, and was kind of interested by it, and was starting to go down that route. And then Mark and I had a little conversation, and he invited me to come jump in here, and so here I am. All right, so you are a, a network professional of how many years? Nine. Nine years in the IT Almost field. 10. Uh, yeah. but you are, so you're not a, a, a tech noob by any means, uh, but you're right. a Linux noob. And, um, absolutely. And so Seth, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, uh, what is it you do and, uh, uh, what makes you qualified to be here? Well, my Defend name- your position, Seth. <laughs> On guard. Um, I am Seth Anderson. I've been in IT for this is my 10th year as well. I'm the network administrator slash level three technician for the Greenville Independent School District. And um, well, I've been exposed to Linux, I would say, well, probably about four years ago when I used to work with Mark. Um, he really got me started in the education IT field. And then 
I just kind of Linux kind of fits me to a T because it does not cost anything and it allows you to do whatever you want if you want to. And so I've kind of played around with it. I, um, uh, I have kind of fallen in love with puppy Linux, which is one of the smaller distributions of, in terms of the size of the distribution itself. It's a, it still fits on a CD. And, um, I found a version that allows you to run it on older hardware because some of the newer versions of Linux don't run really well on like hardware that's 10 or 12 years old. So, um, I play around with it and I'm pretty competent in the command line to figure out how to do something and, uh, follow other people's instructions. I don't like drop to the command line has a, has a command line godfather, but I'm not afraid of it. That's all right. That's what Chris is for. He's our command line guy. Yeah. Um, and so he's, I wouldn't say I'm a command line godfather though. <laughs> that's pretty, that, that's a pretty high standard there <laughs> that you're trying to pin on me, Mark. Thank you. Perhaps someday <laughs> you'll be in a position to give a command line to me. I gave him a command he couldn't refuse. <laughs> Pseudo, make me a sandwich. Oh. Uh, make me a sandwich. Command line godfather. There you yeah, go. app get dominoes. <laughs> but you, if it has to have pseudo or it doesn't count. Oh, okay. Well, see, that's that's why I say I'm not the godfather. But <laughs> that's right. I would have been able to troubleshoot that error. <laughs> so uh, just to give you a, a little hint of where we're going here, um, uh, our new uh, – I'm not, I don't want to say we're going in a new direction, but we're sort of honing uh, our direction a little bit. Uh, previously, uh, Everyday Linux has been sort of geared toward the home user. Um, and after having some conversations, we realized that the intersection of the home user and the podcast listener is pretty narrow. Uh, I mean, there are home listeners and there are podcast listeners, uh, uh, but there's not a whole lot of home users who are also podcast listeners. But who who we do have out there is a lot of guys like Aaron and Seth who are IT guys uh, who are uh, podcast enthusiasts and they're computer enthusiasts in general. And uh, so uh, we're sort of targeting them, but this is not going to be an IT show. So if you started listening uh, back in episode one or, or in the pilot episode and, and liked the show because it wasn't uh, for IT guys, this isn't going to be an IT show. It's going to be a show uh, for computer enthusiasts. And all of us, though though this is our day job, we also go home and tinker with the things at home. And so we're going to talk about home stuff as well as uh, uh, in the office sort of things. And so uh, let us know what you uh, what you think, and we'll talk a little bit at the end of the show about how you can get a hold of us. Uh, but this week, uh, Chris is going to... Uh, sort of introduce us all because we're all sort of uh, noobs in this particular area to uh, one of his favorite uh, new distributions, OpenSUSE, uh, which is a uh, German based uh, distribution. And so he's going to tell us a little bit about that. And so that's kind of what we're going to do um, in the weeks to come. Each of us uh, will sort of take a week and introduce you to something and it'll be a round table, uh, sort of a moderated discussion. So this week is Chris's week. Why? Because he wanted to. So there we go. So Chris, tell us, just little, that lucky. Yeah, tell us a little bit about OpenSUSE. Well, OpenSUSE has been around for a while. Um, it's, it is currently about 17 years old. Um, it has a very large user base um, all over the United States, all over the Euros. Um, it's everywhere. It was originally purchased uh, not too long ago by a company called Novell, which I'm sure a lot of people know about, um, back in 03, if I remember right. And they changed the name from Suzy Linux to Open Suzy, and then they take their open the, I guess the the testing bed for op- that is Open Suzy, and then they develop it into their um, Suze Linux Suzy Linux Enterprise Edition, which is their Novell branded company version of Linux distributions. Um, it works really well honestly um and then just recently again it was novell was bought out by the attachment group um in april uh 2011 uh and then the attachment group is going to take this and is going to separate the novell um enterprise edition from open suzy a little bit more and have it more like the red hat and fedora um working arrangement where OpenSUSE has their own little direction and then the Novell um, Enterprise Linux edition is going to be trailing behind them quite a bit more. Uh, it's a distribution that is based on KDE as a desk, desktop environment uh, where 
Ubuntu is more GNOME. The KDE version that is with OpenSUSE is, I believe, 4.3, if you guys are looking for version number. Um, and then it also comes with a suite of applications on the DVD. Uh, Chris, um, let me inter interrupt you there. Um, sure. You, you sort of glossed over something that I think the the uh, uh, novice Linux user uh, won't understand. Um, these companies, uh, uh, Fedora and OpenSUSE, are really the ones uh, that are sort of pioneering this sort of thing. Uh, Fedora uh, did it. Uh, Red Hat used to be Red Hat Linux, um, and there's still uh, and now there's Red Hat Linux, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and uh, the Fedora project. And what they did was they sort of separated the development. And Red Hat Enterprise Prize Linux is uh, designed at producing a stable, rock solid um, enterprise business class operating system. And so it doesn't have the bleeding edge stuff. It doesn't have the latest and greatest. It has the stuff that they know works. And so OpenSUSE right. is to SUSE Enterprise uh, Linux SLED, uh, uh, SUSE Linux Enterprise Edition, uh, as Fedora is to uh, Red Hat Enterprise. Uh, OpenSUSE is the bleeding edge. It's all the latest and greatest technology. So when there's a new version of LibreOffice, uh, they get it. When there's a new version of Firefox, they get it. When there's a new version of KDE, they get it. But yep. uh, uh, SLED doesn't. They hold back and they wait until something has been pounded on and hammered on and is rock solid, uh, and then they release it. Um, so their release schedules might be two to three years, whereas uh, OpenSUSE will be six to nine months. Uh, and Correct. so, uh, that's, uh, it's the crucible through which all the crap is burned up. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, um, a double-edged sword. If you download one of these things, uh, you're getting the best that there is out there, but you're also getting the most bugs. Um, and if you well, want Well, mostly. Um, I wouldn't say it's, it, it's stable enough to run in a business environment, um, but not on the newest hardware is how it works. That okay. Now um, uh, we've talked about Ubuntu. They have their uh, regular six-month releases, and then what they call their long-term support releases. And so their benchmarks, uh, I think their long-term support right now is uh, ten uh, nine uh, ten point four is their current long-term one. Um, yes, and that one is yeah, you, either long-term one. So you're supposed to take uh, ten point four and keep it for a couple of years. And they'll update it as needed, but you're not going to get like the new version of Firefox that comes out six months later. Uh, you're not going to get that. Yeah, that goes into the six month releases. And so this, that's the way these companies are doing it. They're using, uh, the open source community along with their own developers to, to beat the crap out of it and make it, um, uh, really high quality. And then once it's stable, that's the one they stick the, the fork in the ground and say, this is the one we're going to go with and we're going to support it for a while while we're beating on the next one until it's stable. Is that, do we all in agree way, that that's about right? It sounds good to me. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The other thing that they do, Mark, is if you have uh, OpenSUSE, there is a, a upgrade path to SLED. So if you wanted to purchase the... Um, you know, company level support, you can then get that, um, that beat on fork in the ground, as you speak, um, you know, this is where it's going to be. Right. And they, to, they have that, they have that path to, to contrast that to the, doesn't. I'm sorry to interrupt you to contrast that to the way Microsoft does it. They release the crap and let everybody beat on it. And then when it's fixed, they call it a service pack. Um, and so you wait till service back one or service back two, and that's when it's stable. <laughs> so they make you pay to be their beta tester, whereas uh, OpenSUSE at least lets you do it for free. Right. No sarcasm intended. Take that entirely at face value. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in what you just said. <laughs> Although, I mean, seven was pretty good out of the box. They, uh, you know, but I was. That's because Windows 7 was Vista fixed, it was service pack two for Vista. Right. But yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, back to my I will digress again. I have no doubts. Uh but uh, uh let's uh, continue on with uh, uh what you were saying about OpenSUSE. And if I didn't defend Microsoft at least once, they might revoke my That's certification. That's right. So, Seth is uh, our resident Microsoft apologist. <laughs> well, I'm certified and I want to keep it. So <laughs> certifiable. Yes. <clears throat> anyway, um I was going to continue on with um, it's downloadable and all the documentation, which is heavily done. Um, they, they're probably one of the best documented comp Linux distributions that I've seen. 
Um, the only one that would be even close to being on par would probably be, be um, the Fedora Red Hat people. Um, the, they beat di- documentation into the dirt. Um, OpenSUSE is at OpenSUSE.org. That's open and then S-U-S-E dot org. Um, it's just a, it's a, they have, they have three different versions, four different versions, excuse me. They have the DVD, which has everything that you would possibly need to install. Including both the um, both of the major desktop environments, the KDE, the GNOME. There's also Fluxbox and all the other basic um, desktop environments are on the DVD. They also release a KDE live spin, and then a GNOME live spin, and then a net-based installer um, CD image as well. Um, all of them are. On their page, you just click the button, you download the one you want, and any different, you know, direct download, magnet links, or torrents. And generally speaking, you want the one at the top, right? That's the one that most people are going to want. Right, which is the the DVD version. Um, right below that is the KDE live spin, and below that is the GNOME live spin. So if you want to play without it ruining or installing your system, go with the live spins, not the DVD. Now, that's a little different. Uh, we've done a couple of shows about Ubuntu. Um, in Ubuntu, there's no difference. It's all a live CD. You take the Ubuntu iOS, uh, ISO, you burn it to a CD, you, you run that on a machine, it doesn't do anything until you tell it to install. OpenSUSE has two different versions. They have the live spin that you can't install, and then the install version that you can't run as a live CD. Am I right on that? No, the live spins do have the installers built into them as well. Okay. So the There's just a lighter version. Okay. So it doesn't yeah. have quite as much stuff on it. So can I but, not run the DVD has a live DVD? No. No. It does not have a live a live environment. It is only for installing. Okay. But there again, you can install it without network. You, you don't have to have internet attached to that machine to install through the DVD. The live spins you can install offline as well, but you only end up with um, half the software that they would normally be. So instead of getting LibreOffice, you would end up with like, uh, oh, what's that light version of the of the word? Uh, Abbey Word. Abbey Word. Uh, now, uh, okay, you you mentioned Abbey Word. Let's let's go ahead and chase that rabbit. Uh, Abbey Word is a KDE. Uh, thing, uh, and we've talked a little bit before about the difference between KDE and GNOME, and that they're two different Windows interfaces, uh, much like the difference between Windows XP and Windows Vista. The 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 eye, the eye candy is different. The the way you interact with it is different. Um, in a nutshell, how does KDE differ from GNOME? Um, let's see. KDE has a lot of eye candy up front and it is super configurable. It has so many options you could get lost in the, the KDE manage, uh, editor. Uh, it looks a little bit more like Windows when it comes to where your, your start bar is and your, your task bar at the bottom. Um, that all looks more windowish as far as look goes. Um, functionality wise, it's, it's still Linux, but it's it, it has that you know start bar, start menu, um, and then the, the system tray and the clock down in the bottom corners. Now, I think it's important to point out at this point uh, that uh, SUSE Linux exists uh, for the purpose of being sold to businesses, right? That's their whole thing, and OpenSUSE, as we've said, is sort of their development branch, but they want enterprises to buy this thing. And so uh, since Microsoft Office or Windows is the dominant uh, enterprise platform, they wanted to make it look as much like Windows as possible so that people feel comfortable with it. So if you are a Windows Vista, Windows 7 user, um, they have intentionally made OpenSUSE look as much like what you're used to as possible. Within some differences, but yeah, I mean that's that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make that that um that uh entry that entry point lower because it's it is so much similar to Windows. Just like the in Windows, you have the control panel that handles all your uh, adding in programs and and dealing with the system parts and pieces and and adding to the. Stuff like that. They have a similar tool in OpenSUSE called Yast. 
Which what, I, do you remember what that should stands I go for? down that yet? Should I go down that one? Yet another system. What does that stand for? Tool, I don't right? Yet another system tool. Well, my question would be: um, Is this like okay? When I was all I used was Windows XP all the time, and this was before Vista came out. I had a Mac, um, a MacBook. And I took it home and it was all I could do to not just bust the thing in pieces because I, it was so different from how I was used to using the computer that it made me seem like I had never picked up a computer before. Would I get that same feeling if switching from Windows XP or Windows 7 to this? Or is it more similar in kind of at least the look? The look is very similar. Okay, um, it, it's based more along the lines of Windows Seven than XP, uh-huh. um, because it when like when you first click on the the little lizard icon, which is a start button, uh-huh. you're you're greeted with a favorites menu that is editable. You can remove things from that and add things to this menu. And by default, it comes with Firefox, um, a personal information manager, kind of like uh, Microsoft Office. Uh, what is that? Um, Outlook, that's the program. It looks just like Outlook or functionals just like Outlook. Um, and then it has your word processor underneath that, an audio player, and they're worded like that. So it says web browser, personal information manager, word processor, audio player, photo management, file manager, configure the desktop, help, terminal. Those are the first things you get when you first click the start menu. Okay. On the bottom of the start menu, you'll see that there's a button or as you move, move to the left, your mouse will actually highlight the next thing that says applications. That's where you break down to games, graphic, internet, multimedia, office, that type of breakdown. Program files. Exactly. Yeah, right. Now, the, the main difference, uh, my takeaway of KDE and the way they do things is, uh, like in Windows 7 and Windows Vista, you have, uh, uh, what do they call them, gadgets, widgets? Uh, I forget which is which. Uh, but you have you, the desktop things that you can put on the screen um, that you interact with in different ways. Uh, KDE takes that to the next step. Everything, they, they call them plasmoids. Everything is a plasmoid, including the desktop itself. And so that's where what Chris was talking about, the configurability. You can really move anything around and resize it and make it what you want because everything exists as essentially a desktop widget um, that uh, that you can uh, play with. You're not locked into the original layout. So, um, Seth, to answer your question, yes, it can look a lot like Windows, but it can also look a whole lot unlike Windows if you want it to. Uh, you really have a lot of control over every part of the interface. You know, for me... I've played around with Macs before, and and said I've played with Linux a little bit. I always run into, I don't have any problem navigating and finding something that says word processor and firing it. It's when I run into a problem. Obviously, that's when you start getting a little, a little hairier because the things that you know to do on Windows, or I know to do on Windows-based uh, machines, as far as troubleshooting and things like that, they don't work. Or this hotkey doesn't do what it did before. Or that's not where it should be to run this troubleshooting thing. And that's where I start running into to issues. And I even ran into that when I was installing Linux for the first time personally, trying to troubleshoot the wireless connection and just kind of fumbling around. It looked the same on the surface, but obviously the, the stuff in the background is not, it's not, it's not running on Windows with a cover on the top of it. Um, right. So that's kind of where, where Yast that, That's where Yast will come into play there. Yast is where everything is controlled. It has, um, it's literally the control center for the entire operating system. That's where um, your hardware information, if you're trying to find out if your card is 100% supported, it'll show up under the hardware information button inside of Yast. Um, it, it, there's, I, I wish I could screenshot this to you guys so you can see what Yast looks like. It's literally, do you want to work with software, hardware, your system, network devices, network services, um, what they call Novell App Armor, which is another way of, of protecting the system from you as a user or Mr. <laughs> Malicious Guy down the street who is trying to send you a bug. And let's face um, it, almost all protections are from you most of the time. Definitely. Right. So, um, and App Armor yeah. App Armor is nice because it doesn't get in the way like um, SE Linux does in Fedora and Red Hat. It, that really gets in the way for, for doing things. App Armor is a little more step backish. It'll log things unless you actively turn it on and say, please protect me. 
so I've I've played around with Red Hat a little bit, Ubuntu a little bit. Um, is there? I'm not saying a little bit. I mean a little bit. I am the NIR, the Nubin residence, as Mark has dubbed me. So, is there a correlative item in either of those other distributions, that, like Yast, or are you just? No, they each have really. they each have some sort of control panel. Uh, but Yast is uh, sort of the next step. They they've really taken it farther than. Um, uh, like in in the newest versions of Ubuntu with the Unity desktop, they they have tried to emulate this a little more. They 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 put things down, but uh, uh, Yast is the closest thing to the Windows control panel that I've ever seen in Linux. Okay. Well, I think it's more than the control panel on Windows. I think it, it covers more things, even things that you don't even have installed, but they give you the option to play with it. You know, to see the screens even. Like uh, one of the buttons that I really like is a button for Windows Domain Membership. It's just a button inside of Yeah saying, okay, I want to join the network. And uh, when I was first working, uh, the first time I ever used OpenSUSE, which was a long time ago, uh, one of the reasons I chose it was because it was the easiest thing to put in my Active Directory domain. And again, if you think about the what... Uh, what SUSE wants to do, right? They want to sell this to businesses. So it makes a lot of sense that they would make, make it as easy as possible to incorporate with what businesses already have. So are there, you know, we talked about Active Directory domains. Are there like, um, can I manage this through Active Directory in any way? Uh, are you able to speak to that, Chris? Um, like how? Well, you know, like for Windows 7 or XP or Vista, there's group policies that, um, you can target to those different machines and restrict certain features or power consumption or any or updates. Is there that functionality available that I can like the lat? I haven't played with that personally. Uh-huh. Um, my my domain here where I work doesn't need to restrict um, that type of services down by group policy. Right. If I remember when I last played with it on the domain. There was an add-in that you could t- that you could download to your Active Directory that would add group policying for OpenSUSE. Oh, that's awesome news! I didn't know that. that I would. I, I don't know. I don't know if it fell out of favor and you know became a dead project, but I know that was a couple years ago. Hmm. Well, I'm going to Google it right now and <laughs> see what I can find out. So that's your assignment, Seth. By the end of the show, have an answer to that question. Uh, so, Chris, uh, you've been using uh, OpenSUSE how long? Uh, well, this particular version, um, since the day it released till now. Which is how long? Oh, I would have to look to see when the release date was. Is it a um, month? Is it six months? Ballpark figures. Couple uh, A month and a half. month and a half. Okay. I, I would get, so, guesstimate. Six to eight weeks. Uh, what are your overall impressions so far? Well, it works great, honestly. Out of the box, um, almost everything, all my hardware was perfectly configured. Um, I didn't have to change anything when it came to my Wi-Fi card, my um, NVIDIA chipset. They had a a default driver that worked. Let me stop you right Uh, there. Everything worked out of the box. Tell us about the machine that you're using. The machine I'm using is a Dell Precision T5400 with a Bluetooth dongle and a Wi-Fi USB dongle plugged into it. Okay, so it's uh, how, how old? A couple years. Okay, so Maybe two. a mainstream computer, a couple years old, everything worked right out of the box. Uh, a custom-made yep. machine that you built last week, your mileage may vary. Very much it might. Um, but if it's got standard chipsets, you know, some of the, the, like your Sandy Bridges and your NVIDIA chips, I would say... If it's a mainstream product, it probably will work because they're, again, like you said before, they're trying to take over the Windows market. So they're trying to make everything as easy and as um, to install and use as it can be. Um, one of the things that I really like is how OpenSUSE handles um, adding repositories um, for additional software or drivers because it's literally... You click the button that says software repositories, and I'll even do that right now live so I can get the exact wording right. They list the ones that they install by default, and then they have an add button. And when you click add, you can say community repositories. It'll download a 
bunch of little snippets from the Open Suzy site, and then it'll give you a list of different package, different sources for software, like the NVIDIA the NVIDIA um, proprietary drivers. There's a button for that. There's a, a one for ATI. There's one for um, let's see. There's the um, Lib DVD codex, so you can get your DVDs without having to go find the W32 codex packages from like on Ubuntu, which is of questionable legality. Just want to throw it, that. It out is there. very much so. Um, <laughs> but they're they're also licensed for <laughs> some Thank of the for MP3 bringing codex. That through, Aaron. Thank you for bringing that continuity to the show. <laughs> But there is a license for some of their codecs built into the OpenSUSE license. Yes, that's. Uh, thank you for mentioning that because uh, um, OpenSUSE is uh, owned by Novell um, uh, and now AttachMe. But because it was Novell, Novell signed an agreement with Microsoft, and they didn't really buy any intellectual property. They just sort of had an agreement that we won't sue you. Um, and so Microsoft, uh, uh, OpenSUSE is the only one that has some of those codecs, some of those, uh, Windows only sort of things built in, in a way that, um, is legal. Uh, and, and they have that edge. And, and again, it was because they were trying to tackle the business market. Uh, I wanted to, uh, throw one quick thing in there. A question I was asked just this weekend, uh, and that I'm asked often is about what it takes to run Linux. Often we hear people say that, uh, uh, you can run Linux on older hardware. Um, and, um, as you just said there, Chris, yours is not blazing new, but not really old either. It's pretty, most of us have an 18 month to 24 month old computer at home. That's, you know, that's kind of where the average American sits. Uh, and so, uh, in this case, OpenSUSE fills that niche nicely. Um, if you want a really, uh, you know, like my laptop, for example, we mentioned before is, is brand new, uh, latest and greatest, and it's not ready. Well, Linux isn't ready for it yet. So it, it is really kind of the case that the older the machine gets, the better Linux will run on it. Um, and in most cases, uh, you can extend the life of old, old hardware, something that was running uh, Windows XP or even Windows 98. Um, you'll be able to get one of the Linux distributions on it much more effectively than you would a new Windows distribution. And Seth, you had a story about that that we were talking about earlier that I wanted you to share. Yeah, I have a really old computer. It's an it's an old Dell laptop, Pentium 3, 800 megahertz, like 300 megs of RAM. And, you know, it had it originally shipped with Windows 2000. And by the time I got it, somebody had upgraded to XP. And, you know, two minutes from the time you turn it on to the time you log it on was not really acceptable. So I was like, let me just try to load some flavors of Linux on here. So I loaded um Linux Mint, and to my surprise, it installed fine, and I could run one application at a time without any issue. But if I tried to do two, then it would just it, the system would become unusable. So I went looking for a version of Linux for older hardware, and like I say, Pentium three, so that's pretty old. And I came across um, I went to regular Puppy, but the current Puppy would not install correctly. So I found one called. Um, Puppy Juarez, I believe, but it was a distribution of Puppy specifically built for older hardware. So I downloaded the CD ISO because it it's, doesn't take up a lot of space, and I installed it. And there was like an issue with some USB support or some with a USB mouse, but there was a service pack beta that I installed that took care of that. And so I can browse the web with a current version of Firefox, and you know I use Google Apps um, and. I can, so I can do Google apps. I can do YouTube videos. So, and it wasn't, I could do them both at the same time without any lag and getting that out of a machine that's over 10 years old. I thought it was really pretty amazing. Like, you know, like I know XP would run on it, but it wouldn't run well. And of course, windows seven would probably just laugh um, if you tried to put it on there. But I had a, I had a modern computing experience on an ancient laptop and, I and I fire it up and a lot of times when I'm just laying on the bed and I just want to you know check my email before I go to bed that's what I'll use rather than go to my big windows beast downstairs 
So there you go. We uh, we've mentioned sort of a broad spectrum there from the really old to the pretty modern to the really new. And so really the only one that kind of gets left out of the loop there is the really new. Uh, you, you almost, I'm not willing to say this outright, but you almost pay a penalty in the Linux world for having new. Um, and that's because developers work for peanuts and they can't afford the newest hardware often. And, and sometimes it really comes down to that. The maintainer of this package uh, doesn't have the new Sandy Bridge operating system, so he can't build for it. Which is why it's nice that, you know, there is OpenSUSE out there, though, because then someone who has the itch to build a, dri a better driver can. Yeah, I have uh, Ubuntu on my laptop, which is about a year old, but it is a cheap, 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 five cheaps laptop. Uh, it's an e-machine. <laughs> Two ninety nine special, two seventy nine. I think maybe brand new from Micro Center, which is our you overpaid if it's an e machine. <laughs> yeah, it actually runs great. Don't have any problems. Windows seven, two gig RAM. I mean, it's it's a modern computer. Uh, it's just not a, a workhorse. But I ran into with Ubuntu, and uh, Mark and I discussed this the other day. The wireless driver. I'm I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking for it because I I didn't want to um, beat myself against my head against the wall too much on it, but. The the wireless the driver from our wireless card is not readily available that I can find for Ubuntu. I ran some, read some stuff about compiling things and what have you, and that was beyond my uh, my experience with Linux at this point. So I just backed off until today. So I thought I might grab one of the guys after the show to to ask some further questions. But um, yeah, I, so I, everything else worked great, installed great, everything's great. But then I can't get on my Wi-Fi, so I had to had to plug in the old hard cable to to jack into the matrix. So. <laughs> Are you doing this show on that computer? I would be. I am on that computer, but I'm actually running Windows 7 because I'm uh, banished to the bedroom for, <laughs> okay. for podcasts while my four-year-old's running around to the house, and, uh, I, and I can't get the wireless to work in Ubuntu. So I was hoping to be able to say I am running, I'm Skyping to you now from Ubuntu, but it was not the case. Okay. And I'm sure it would work on my other, my desktop. My desktop is, I'm... I'm not the average person. I have a five-year-old HP, and I'm sure it would have done fine on that, but I haven't haven't got it installed on there yet. Hmm. Question would be: Is what's the Wi-Fi chip for that one? But that could yeah, be covered a, later. That's an Atheros um, card, AR five ninety five BR five four nine or something. I don't remember. I'd have to have to check. But um, yeah. I, I, I've searched on the, on the forums a bit and found a couple of things that mentioned, but nowhere it said, "Here's the driver you need. Take it, and run with it." So, but that's a side note. I don't I don't want to take us too far off the topic. I guess my point is, if I would have installed OpenSUSE, I probably would have uh, not experienced that. There's a pretty good chance you probably wouldn't have. Yeah, I just did a, a quick Google search and. Uh, the Atheros AR series is is apparently very problematic. And uh, we've talked about this before, but I, I just want to reiterate, um, this is not so much a, a Linux problem as it is the Atheros people haven't made any efforts to help um, the Linux community. Now, the Atheros right. people probably wrote Windows drivers uh, because obviously they want to make sure their stuff works on the, the operating system that 80% of the world uses. Um, they may or may not have, uh, written Mac drivers because, you know, uh, on a Mac, it's whatever Apple decides to put in it. So there may no, be no such thing as an Atheros card in a Mac. So that leaves you with this, uh, uh, Ubuntu, which, or, or Linux rather, I don't mean to make those synonymous, but it leaves you with Linux that is, uh, um, a very minor market share and they don't want to put resources into making a driver. Okay, that's fine. Let the community make the driver. But a lot of these companies refuse to do that for fear of losing intellectual property or whatever. They think that if they uh, let somebody work on the the chipset that they'll steal it and go reverse engineer it and make their own. And um, and so there's that's the reason those drivers probably don't exist. And, uh, and, and then again, there may be uh, somebody who did make it, but now Atheros has threatened to sue them if they redistribute it. So it, you, you run into all sorts of problems uh, when when you uh, have companies that uh, just aren't willing to be helpful. Um, so Which that, brings that's, me to my, my second question. Actually, I don't know what number. I've, I've, I've quit enumerating my questions earlier today. Um, <laughs> in the Linux world, I know if I go to 
fill in the blank website to get driver for filling the blank piece of hardware, it'll say, here's the XP driver, here's the 7 driver, or here's the XP7 driver, or here's the 2000 XP7 driver, and it'll have it pretty clearly listed. As a, as a newbie to Linux, do I need to search specifically by the distribution, by the number? Do I need to look for 11.4 Ubuntu to find the driver I need? Well, can I just look for a Linux driver for this card, and any Linux driver will probably work, or... How does Gen that work? Generally speaking, you don't have to search at all. It either works or doesn't. Okay. Well, and I have seen, as I've looked online, that some of the drivers will say Linux, and then there might be one that says Ubuntu, and then another one, OpenSUSE, or something else. So it's becoming more and more popular, or I should say maybe less obscure, that they are listing Linux drivers and separating them by distribution family. So are you telling me, Mark, that I'm pretty much dead in the water at this point? Or should I even try to search um, for a driver for this? Yeah, I don't know for AR5. sure. My my gut reaction combined with my experience is you're not going to find it pre-compiled. You're probably going to have to compile it yourself, which sounds really, really scary, but it's not. Um, you can find some uh, website that will point you through type this, then type this, then type this, then go. Um, right, and that's what I ran into, and that's where I kind of stopped. I didn't want to go down that path without. I didn't want to already have figured it out without being the noob on it, at least for a little bit, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, Chris, you guys, I mean, jump in there if I'm wrong, but that's just been my experience. It's it, it either gonna, it's either gonna work. Your operating system is going to find it and it's going to work, or you're gonna have to go through a lot of trouble. And you, my my guess is you're better off going and buying a USB Wi-Fi adapter and plugging that in for 20 bucks rather than even trying to mess with it. Um, correct. Now, there is something called the NDIS wrapper, which is supposed to wrap um, Windows wireless drivers in order to work in Linux, but that's hit and miss as well. So It's more miss than hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, it, like, I said, like I was leading to before, it all depends on the distribution and... Who's maintaining it? Um, the other thing that you could look into is if you did want to try something other than um, Ubuntu, is I know, like for Suzy, for example, it does have a repository with Wi-Fi cards in it of drivers. Okay, so if I wanted to go look in, on OpenSUSE.org or somewhere to find out, is my card supported before I go to the trouble of downloading 9,000 yeah, megs of gigs? And where would I find that? How would I find that as a person that doesn't know where I'm going or what I'm doing? Let me look. Hold on. I just closed. I just closed the website. Go figure. I just right? clicked on Discover it. Am I in the right place? Yeah, that'd be a good start. Um, because you're looking for hardware support. Support. I found something that says support. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Hardware database. There you go. And it says, Aaron, That's... you're out of luck. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> At least it was personal. Right. It's very nice about it. Yeah. Um, and and OpenSUSE, I'm not going to say is unique, but is unusual in that. Not all Linux distributions make their um, available hardware so readily available? Uh, obvious. Yeah. Well, I was looking on the OpenSUSE website, and I found a great one. It's called, uh, what was it, Most Annoying Bugs in 11.4. I don't think Microsoft would have on their page Most Annoying Bugs Windows 7. Um, so, I mean, it, it tells you some of the major bugs, and then it tells you how to get around them. And that was refreshing uh, to find on the company's website. So, Aaron, I went to the hardware database. I typed Atheros in the search, and it brought me about uh, 15 um, pages of options that may or may not work for your machine. Right. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the same list, I believe. And, uh, and there is an AR9285, which is close. But, uh, of course, then the comment says, unstable, buggy, fail. I probably don't <laughs> want that one. There, there is quite a bit of information here, including uh, a link that tells you how to get around it. I believe, like uh, Josh was referring to, about using the wrapper. And there's, there's documentation for that right in, right in here. Item number four: If your card chipset is not listed using Windows drivers, it actually has that 
right here in that page. So there you go. Uh, there are options for you. You're not uh, twisting in the wind. That's one of the things uh, that kind of you know, burns my biscuits is uh, people talk about open source and they say, well, who's going to support it? You know, where's my 800 number? Well, you know, you ask the question, how long did it take us to find a couple of possible answers? Just, I mean, uh, um, not long, longer, less time than you would have waited on hold calling that much vaunted 800 number that everybody's always talking about. Um, support exists for Linux and it's huge. And, and as Josh has, uh, excuse me, as Chris has pointed out, uh, OpenSUSE is one of the most well documented, uh, uh, operating systems period of, you know, being Linux based or not. Uh, it's, it's very well documented. Uh, and so if you're willing to do a little digging, um, it's there. If you're not willing to do a little digging, go to Micro Center and buy a USB, uh, Wi-Fi and get on with your life and you, you got choices. Uh, but either one of those choices cost you less than the, the 800 number that everybody seems to want. Yep. Okay. End of soapbox. <laughs> well, you had, you had to get on the soapbox, Mark. I do. At least once, right? Soapbox or high horse. One or the other. I'm too tired to climb up on the horse. So this time it was the soapbox. Well, and I did what I do every time somebody asks me a windows questions. I don't know. I went to my tech support repository called Google and I typed in Athros Wireless OpenSUSE and there's a thread that gives a link to a repository that people have used with some success. Um, and I can't pronounce the guy's name, but I mean, you know, if somebody, I'm going to find a, an answer to a Linux issue the exact same way I'm going to find an answer to a Windows issue. If I don't know it already, I'm going to Google it, and then I'm going to turn around and pass that information off as an expert. <laughs> so I was going to say, because that, that's not necessarily true for some people, because some people, the way they find their answer to the Windows question is they ask Aaron, and then he Googles it. And that's right. Yes, and I'm like, do you realize you could have had your answer twice as fast had you just asked Google instead of Seth? Yes, but, uh, let me Google that for you.com. Uh, I'm going to drop a name that both Aaron and, and Seth know. Uh, our good friend Russ um, uh, is constantly on my Yahoo Instant Messenger list and has been for the last 15 years. And when he has a question, he doesn't ask Google, he asks Mark. What does Mark do? He copies and pastes the answer that he, the question he just asked me into Google, gets the response, then copies and pastes that back into the window for Russ. I am now the smartest person on the planet because I did what he should have done. Um, right. So... <laughs> That's great. And I, I was going to bring up the uh, the community as well. They have a very extensive community when it comes through for their forums. Uh, I'm not a wholly I'm not sold on their IRC support, but their forums are excellent. Um, there's pretty much just like Ubuntu's forums, it's there, and anything by old PC or oh, there's probably about. 15 guys I could name off that if if they answer the question, you could pretty much say that their word is God because they have been around for a long time. All right. That's great. Anything else you wanted to tell us about, uh, uh, open Sousa, Chris, I, this has been informative. I didn't know any of this. So good stuff. Um, no, I think that pretty much covers everything. Um, let me check my, hit list here see if there's hey, anything else while I you're missed. looking at that chris i went to their website and i looked at the hardware requirements so if i were to pull out a pentium 3 500 megahertz with 512 megs of ram how well would open susa run on that um if you stick with the default kde i would say it would be functional but not ideal um it would probably be really sluggish um just like just what you expect from you know, running like XP on something like that. Right. It would it would work okay, but it wouldn't be the ideal circumstances. Would um would you? I say, would say if you're going to run it on something that low end of a spec, instead of using KDE or GNOME, maybe using um, XFCE would be a good idea. That's a really low memory requiremented desktop, still really feature rich, but the memory requirement footprint is a lot lower. Would you say that in order to have the default OpenSUSE running well, I would need the specs that would make XP run well? Would you say that's a, or could I get, I mean, in, you know, I'm just trying to 
compare because you know if i want xp to run well i'm going to want a pentium 4 2 gig and i'm going to want a gig of ram and then i'm not going to have any complaints for xp <clears throat> you'd be in the same boat there really? uh, especially if you don't if you don't want the fancy desktop effects like the fading windows and the the slide to the different desktops yeah that would probably be the ideal spot for no f- super frills and you just want a working desktop that would be I would say that'd be the lowest lowest requirements. Okay, I was just curious. Thank you. And remember, when they put those on the websites, it almost always says minimum requirements. Right. Meaning, what will it boot up on? What will it breathe on? And uh, you know, if you look at the minimum requirements for uh, Windows XP, I think it says it'll run on a three eighty six. Uh, or maybe a 486. So, uh, yes, it will run on it. Well, yeah, but, but that's why I said right. what we run well on XP. Yeah. My uh, my rule of thumb, and it, this is just me, is if you want the full-on major whiz-bang experience uh, of any operating system, you need a big, beefy machine. Um, and that, that doesn't change just because it's Linux. But if you're willing to, it's like with, with Windows 7, you can have the arrow glass or not have the arrow glass. You know, if you're willing to take away some of the pretty, um, you can take away some of the specs. And so, uh, my, my rule of thumb is if it was cutting edge eight years ago, it'll run fine using most of the major Linux distributions. Anybody disagree with that? No. No, I think that's about right. So it's not that uh, it won't work on older hardware. It's just not going to be the new shiny experience. If you want new shiny, you got to have new hardware, and that's true of any operating system. I will admit, though, that if you have uh, an NVIDIA card or an, uh, something with a graphics acceleration that's supported by their, their drivers that they give you, um, you'll get a lot of pretty, even though you have a low-end spec com- computer, just having that extra that graphics card will help immensely. Absolutely. And then you have to ask yourself, what are you going to do with it? Most people uh, use their computer for a web browser and an email client, and often they're one and the same. Um, tech enthusiasts, geeks like us, we want to wring a little more performance out of it. You know, we want to play a game or or rip a DVD or do something like that. Well, the more you want to do with something, the more hardware you have to have. You know, uh, I would never be happy with a smart car because I happen to like air conditioning and going more than 40 miles an hour. Um, but, you know, for the commuter who only goes a few blocks in a, in a dense city traffic, that's fine. So you gotta, you gotta tailor what you actually need with what you actually do. Uh, geeks tend to go overboard and they want, uh, an eight core processor with 64 gigs of RAM to read Gmail. Um, and we, we do that. Um, but, but it's pretty and it's got all the latest and greatest, but all I ever do is Gmail. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly, it's like if you live in Texas and you buy a vehicle without air conditioning, you're an you're idiot. Crazy. But you know, if you live on the, just off the coast in California and you buy a car without air conditioning, you're just going to roll your windows down and not think a big deal about it. So, it, you know, and you, some people, Hey, I, you know, can I play some web-based games? And can I watch some YouTube videos and can I email my friends? And, and then other people are like, I want to see anything and everything web related. I want to see anything and everything computer related. So, and that's, that's one of the strengths of Linux is there isn't one size fits all. There's millions of sizes for millions of people. And that's one of the complaints that we've often had, uh, on our Taiwan tech show about the Mac operating system, the Mac environment is it's, a beautiful experience as long as you walk within their walls and on their sidewalks. Uh, as long as you want to do what they want to do, it's awesome. Um, Linux can be that too. You can have the awesome experience in a limited way, or you can have a slightly less awesome experience uh, out in the wilderness. You know, it just depends on what you want to do. So anyway, uh, again, another soapbox. Sorry, somebody needs to take that away from me. <laughs> Step away from the soapbox, box. That's so much fun. <laughs> okay, so I think we'll move on to our uh, tips of the week. And um, we have uh, – uh, <laughs> I, I, I made this one up because I thought it was funny. But here is Chris's command line tip of the week. Oh, great command line guru. What is your command line tip of the week? Godfather of the command line. 
Godfather. I like that. You know, I think I should put that in my business cards. Anyway, um, this is for a Open Suzy computer. Uh, it, because I personally think it's a waste of time to pop open Yast just to run an update. Um, so I always like to pop into the command line just to drop this command in there. And it's su zipper up. And that's that's the command to update Z-Y-P-P-E-R. the system. Z-Y-P-P-E-R. Yep. Uh, yeah. Z- Z- yeah. Z- yeah. Anyway, that's what you need to do for just a standard update. If you wanted to move up and not care about what um, where you're getting your packages from, then you need to do what's called a dist- distribution upgrade, and that's D-U-P for distribution. I can't say that word today. For uh, yeah, that distribution. One, like if you have, thank you. If you have multiple sources for packages, the up command will stay in the same source. It won't change to a different location. The dup will change location. So if, um, for example, the W332 codecs, the default ones are in the Open Suzy's re- repository, but the more current ones are in. Pac-Man's repository, and there you have to use the DUP to get those other reposit that other source. Okay, that was appropriately geeky. You did not fail us. Rock on. <laughs> you deserve your title for this week, Godfather. <laughs> and uh, so, Seth, uh, what is your uh, end user tip of the week? Seth is going to be our, our representing the home guys, the the guys who, who step away from the office and still can't get enough of these computers. So what is your end user tip of the week? Well, my end user tip of the week this week is not so much Linux centric, has, um, but if there was someone you wanted to introduce open source software to, you could go and download the Trinidad and Tobago Computer Society's free software Windows CD. And there's a website, web link that will be on the URL. And what this is, is a list of many... Oh, he said it, what this is, is. What this is, is. Well, Sean it. wasn't here. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got a good Apple bashing story if you want that. But um, what this does is combine... <laughs> It combines best of class in like word processors, web browsers. There's even some games, uh, web, web, um, composer utilities. And it puts it on a CD, all of the install files and even some documentation for it. And it's in one source. So you don't have to go look 10, 20 different places to download all these programs. You just have them on here. The one drawback about this um, CD is that you might not have the most current version. You might have one version behind it because they don't update their CD every time a new version comes out. They update it a couple of times a year. But it is an awesome CD. I have used it, and I've even given it away before. I've just burned copies and given it away. You're downloading free software that runs on Windows. Some of it runs as far back as Windows 2000 or before but it's going to run on the current version of Windows that you have. So if you have a friend who like thinks that if they didn't cost a lot of money, it's not any good, just hand them this CD and, you know, like tell them you stole it or something so they'll install it. But <laughs> And my, I don't know much about life in Trinidad and Tobago, but Tobago, whichever it is. But my guess Tobago, is... Tobago. <laughs> I'm sorry? Sorry. Tobago, Tobago. Oh, boo. Uh, my guess is that uh, broadband isn't quite uh, pervasive there yet, and so these uh, people have decided to do the downloading for you, and you can have them mail you a CD uh, and instead of uh, wasting your bandwidth or maybe spending all month uh, downloading all this stuff. I'm, I'm just looking through the list now. Seth has mentioned this to me before, um, and the list of things that it has on it is long. Um, many, many, uh, different, uh, utilities to do pretty much anything you could think of you might want to do. Yeah. If you're in the educational department, there's the graph calc, which is an awesome calculator. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do any type of programming, there's notepad plus plus, which you don't need to spend money for those, uh, expensive things. If you just, um, want to know what line number and stuff you're on, definitely better than regular old notepad. Um, open office seven zip firefox and i've played many of the games on here and they're really good uh gimp blender 
there's a long list. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Seth, for that uh, end user tip of the week. Um, and Aaron, I have assigned you Aaron's noob discovery of the week. What have you discovered this week, Aaron? I discovered that I know almost nothing about Linux and Ubuntu and any other type of Linux. Uh, but while I was digging around and poking around, I did stumble across a website that had some pretty good documentation. And you guys obviously have been in the Linux world longer than me can tell me if this site's bad or good. Um, but it's answers.launchpad.net. All the Google searches I've ever done, I've never used that site before that I can remember. But you go into it, and it's got a list of questions that people have posted. It's got uh, the status where the questions opened or solved, things like that. It's got a set of white papers that you can pull down, uh, best practices and troubleshooting tips. And so when I was working on uh, kind of playing around looking at my uh, Wi-Fi card problem that I was having earlier we were discussing, I went in there and just did a quick search for that, um, for Wi-Fi, and it came up with a list of... Uh, questions that related to it and then four FAQs uh, that all were you know very apropos to what I was looking at example example um, how to connect to wireless by enabling automatic mode uh, I didn't know there was an automatic mode yet but apparently there is and you can enable it uh, network troubleshooting in Ubuntu uh, how do I use network manager at the login prompt how to report a bug I mean, so there's some stuff that's kind of lower end lower hanging fruit for somebody that's just kind of uh, getting their feet wet, per se, with Ubuntu. I, I, and I'm assuming that they have other flavors of uh, Linux also, because I don't think launchpad.net is, answers.launchpad.net is only an Ubuntu site by any means. So, I think actually, I, mean, you, I think the Ubuntu ahead, Foundation bought it. Uh, am, am I wrong on that? I think it is owned, I, it's not just for Ubuntu, but I think the, the Shuttleworth Foundation bought that or is running it. And anybody know what I'm talking about, or am I just making this up? No, well, it it's, does say it is, it's under most active projects. The only thing that's listed is Ubuntu. So okay, I'm, so you're probably correct. It is owned by Canonical, the which is the the parent company of Ubuntu. But okay, well, that's that. That at least that means it's probably at least reputable. And I'm not sending somebody to a a, a site that Seth will have to scan with his new uh, <laughs> website scanning software. And no, Chris, I'm not slacking. I was being polite and letting the guest go first. Uh, in the Google Doc that we share here, uh, Chris wrote that I'm slacking on my tip of the week because I didn't have it there. Um, I don't know what to call this yet, so this is just Mark's general geekery tip of the week. Uh, and this is a, a tool that is a, a favorite of mine. I use it often. It's called UNET Boot-In. U-N-E-T-B-O-T-I-N. Uh, Universal Network Boot Installer? I don't know. Uh, uh, but it's uh, unetbooten.sourceforge.net. And uh, what it does is allow you to create uh, pen drive installations of, of various Linux distributions for whatever... Um, uh, operating system you have. So if you, there's a Windows version that you can download and run on Windows. There's a, a Linux version you can download and run on Linux. There's a Mac version that you can run on Mac OS X, uh, OS 10. I know they get snippy if you call it OS X, but guess what? A 10 is an X. Uh, so anyway, um, not you, if Steve Jobs doesn't say so. <laughs> you download UNet Booten and, and then you tell it, it it's got a, a long list of, uh, different distributions it already knows about, uh, Ubuntu, Slack, Linux, OpenSUSE is in there and you can just tell it, I want um open um go download it for me and format this drive f which is my pen drive and make it a bootable uh, linux installation you can do that or if you've already got the iso you've downloaded you can point it at that and uh and it'll it'll take your pen drive it'll erase whatever's on it so don't have anything you care about uh put that in there and it'll make it bootable so that you don't if you have uh, a machine that doesn't have a DVD player uh you can still download the DVD version of say uh, uh um OpenSUSE and make a, a USB drive uh version of that so that is my tool one that I use often and it just works now just to clarify this won't like compile a distribution or anything like like if i've if you've kind of made your own you would need to supply the iso or uh yes okay yes it has to be an iso that would ordinarily boot from a cd okay i am i like this site i am gonna come back later and check it out well thank you for your approval 
All right, guys, anybody else have anything else to say before I move along? Two seconds on a, a thought, though, real quick. If you wanted to try OpenSUSE, download VirtualBox and give it a shot. It runs great in it. There you go. And we've talked about virtualiz- virtualization before. Uh, it's a great way to test new hardware, or new software, I mean. Um, okay. And so, uh, guys, let us know how we've done with our new lineup and our new direction. Uh, do we need to keep tweaking or do we need to lock it in? Tell us what, what you think. Visit our website at, uh, uh, We've got a forum there for everyday Linux. Uh, our email address is edl for everyday Linux at thetightwadtech.com. Uh, and I will say that, uh, there will be some rebranding in our future. Uh, we now have the Tightwad Tech uh, podcast. We have Everyday Linux podcast. Soon, we'll uh, uh, later this summer, we'll uh, begin our Tightwad Teacher podcast, and we have yet another podcast in development. Uh, and so it doesn't seem quite right to keep sending people to the TightwadTech.com website for the Everyday Linux podcast or for the Tightwad Teacher podcast. So uh, we're going to do some rebranding. Uh, we'll be working on that. So just a heads up, uh, that will be happening uh, in the future. But for now, the place to find us is at... Uh, thetaiwadtech.com, uh, click on the Everyday Linux forum, or send us an email at edl at thetaiwadtech.com. So there you go. Uh, any final thoughts before I close the session? And we're all... Enjoy Linux. For having me. <laughs> we're all completely thoughtless. All right, guys, so we'll see you back here and sometime in the future. And so that wraps up this episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs>